Um, Tom and I go all the way back to the 70s when I was a DJ. I was a DJ. When there was records. Now that dates me. Um, but it was in the late 70s. I had a music show on a 100,000 watt FM blowtorch called KVTT. And I would always get calls and requests for Tom's music. And we began together, been uh, together all these years. And we both gotten kind of silver together. He's a little more silver than me, but I'm catching up quick. And um, we cycle together sometimes. He'll put 40 miles on a bike. 40 miles. That's how he keeps his lungs good. But it's neat that we've known each other all these years, decades, 30 plus years. Isn't that the way it ought to be? It's the way it ought to be. Vision 13. That's what I'm calling this new series. Because I want to talk to you about the new year. I believe in starting the new year off with God. I really do. A lot of people are out celebrating New Year's Eve. When it hits midnight, you watch that stupid ball fall. I haven't seen that thing fall in years. I like being with the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, what are you saying for the new year? Because we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I want to be propelled by a fresh word from God. And I felt that he put four messages on my heart for us, for our listening audience, on radio that is growing all the time. And I want our church to be vision-driven. Vision-driven. And I'm going to talk to you about that. Now, the passages we're about to read, Habakkuk has been confused. He, his, his dilemma has been, where are you, God? Where are you? It seems like the enemy's winning the day. Seems like things are not in your control. What are you saying, God? God gave him a, a word. Look what the Lord said to him. The Lord answered me, says Habakkuk, and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Now listen to what he says about the vision that comes from God. The vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end, it's going to speak. And it will not lie. God's vision doesn't lie. Though it tarries, what does he say to do? Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Because the word of the Lord endures forever. Father, thank you for your word today. And I pray that this church is literally baptized in a fresh vision from God. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, hang on, it's on the way. We had a wonderful two services uh, last night and then again this morning. Um, God is good. He's moving in our church and we're so thankful for the new year. But I want us to be thinking Vision 13. Vision 13. Now, God is telling Habakkuk, that the vision he's giving him is going to be for a later time. In other words, Habakkuk, it's going to seem like it's tarrying. It's going to take a while, probably longer than you thought. Waiting is going to be involved, and patience is going to be required 
for the vision that I give to you. Now, I think that's contrary to the way we think sometimes. Well, if God says it, it's going to immediately be there, but not so. When God gives a vision, it almost always tarries. It takes longer than we thought it would, more effort than we thought it would, requires more patience than we thought it would. So Habakkuk is told to write it down so that he can go back to it and read it over and over again. I think it's a great idea. You ought to write down what God has said to you. Write it down so you can go back to it over and over again in times of discouragement, weariness, setbacks, when you're just kind of, you know, what in the world like Habakkuk, what's going on? You can go back to it and say, here's what God said to me. Here's what he said. That's what I like about Mary. It says, when Mary heard all the things about Jesus, she hid them in her heart. She locked up what God said to her under lock and key and didn't let the enemy steal it. Habakkuk is to make it so plain that those who read it can read it and, and understand it so easily that they themselves run and tell everybody what the vision is. Visions from God are plain. They're easy to grasp. They are not complicated. God gives a picture. God gives an idea. God gives a God idea. God clearly reveals to us what he wants us to do. And, and like our vision here at TPC, we're not here because we thought this would be a good idea. Ministry is not a career choice. Ministry is a call from God. And a local church is a call from God. A local church is not a good idea. It ought to be a God idea. And when God gives you a God idea, it always comes with vision. And our vision is very simple. And I want every member of our church to be able, if I came up to you in the hall and said, what's the church, the, the vision of TPC? You would be able to say immediately, oh, it's, it's easy. It's in reach, outreach, and upreach. That's all that it is. So can you say with me, in reach, outreach, upreach. That's enough to keep us busy till Jesus comes again. In reach. Paul said to the Galatian church, he said, I am laboring in prayer until Christ is formed in you. In reach. God wants all of us growing into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. And so everything that we do around here when it comes to you, the body of believers, is in reach that Christ be formed in you. But then there's outreach. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we're going to do that this year more than we have ever done it before. And I'll be sharing that with you in a moment. But then there's upreach, teaching every person not just to sing about him, but to sing to him. Teaching every person to worship Jesus in spirit and truth. Jesus said the Father is on the hunt for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth, from the heart, not mechanically, not robotically, but from the heart that we would worship God in spirit and in truth. So in reach, outreach, upreach, that's our vision. God has always revealed his will and his plans by vision, always. So the first message of this new year is get a vision. Can you say it with me? Get a vision. Kathy and I were driving along yesterday and we saw a sign that said, got milk. And she said, you ought to go up to them and say, got vision. Let me ask you, do you have vision? Do you have God vision? Do you have a God dream? Has God spoken to you? Do you see what God has for you? And I know what you're thinking. You say, well, when you say vision, Pastor Jeff, do you mean like I see something? 
Like I'm watching a movie, I see some vision and angels are singing and the hallelujah chorus is playing in the background. Is that what you mean? Let me tell you what vision is. Vision is a picture of what God wants to do in the future and the part you play in it. It's that simple. God has a plan. God is not sitting up there going, what are we going to do next? He's already seen the end from the beginning. God looks at the end of a thing and then begins the beginning. So he already knows what's coming. So here's the deal. He's got a plan and he wants his church involved in that plan. And the the part that you play and I play is God's vision for you and for me. I want to be in the middle of what God is doing. I don't want to be on the outside looking in. I don't want to be a bench warmer. I want to have the football and be running with it. I want to cross the goal. I want to make some touchdowns. Is anybody with me today? Are you excited about the work of God? So vision is a picture of what God wants to do in the future, the part you play in it. Vision is a discovery of God's plan as it relates to your life. When I got God's vision for my life, it changed my life. When I realized I wasn't just saved for heaven, but I was saved for a purpose and a destiny and a reason, and I was custom designed for a time and a place and an hour, that I had come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so have you. You're not a mistake. You're on purpose. And you're here for a reason. Vision is an understanding of what God wants to accomplish through you to build his kingdom. God gives us vision, I believe, to show us our true potential. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see what you see. He sees incredible potential in him. You will never be everything you can be apart from being in the center of the will of God for your life. Potential. Vision allows us to see things, not as they are, but as they will be. When you got saved, Jesus did not say, oh, what a mess. What are we going to do with this one? He already saw what you were going to be, walking in maturity, praying down the power of God, reaching people for Christ, walking like him, talking like him, thinking like him, loving like him, compassionate like him, patient like him. He saw the end, not just the beginning. Where does vision come from? The kind of vision I'm talking about today doesn't come from you, and it doesn't come from me. Like I said, it's not a good idea. It's not us sitting around trying to conjure up the biggest thing we can dream of. No, give me your biggest dream, and God will shut it down and eclipse it with his dream every time. Give me your biggest dream, and I'll tell you, God can do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask for or even think of. God's dream for you. Vision comes from God. I want you to see Simon Peter on the lake. Jesus said, get in the boat, Simon. We're going to go fishing. He told him to cast on the right side. Jesus was not a leftist. I'm sorry, I had to throw that out. (laughs) Isn't that bad? He wasn't on the left. Good things happen on the right. He said, throw on the right side. And so he threw the net over, 
and he brought in such a catch of fish, he could not believe it. He fell down on his knees and he said, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And Jesus then gave him vision. He said, from here on out, Simon, you're going to catch men. You're going to catch men. I just changed your life. I just gave you a whole new vision and idea and concept about who you are and where you're going and what you're all about. You're more than a fisherman. You're a fisher of men. Where'd that vision come from? Came from Jesus. And from that moment on, Simon Peter was consumed with the vision that God had for him. And he lived it out to his dying day, hung upside down on a cross at his own request, saying, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord was. He was called to take the truth of Christ, the love of Christ, the reality of God to the mass of humanity. And he did it. See Jeremiah as a young man, a teenager. He's sitting there and God appears to him. God came to him and said something that is so mind-blowing, that is such a slam against the whole concept of abortion. God said, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wait a minute. That means prior to conception, I knew you. I saw your face, your personality, your genetic makeup, your chromosomal makeup. I saw you, and I knew you. Wow. But God didn't stop there. He said, before you were born, I sanctified you and set you apart for my work. Before you were first slapped by the doctor, I called you. You've been mine since you were in the womb. And he said, I appointed you as a prophet of the nations. And when he heard that, his life changed. He said, look at the call on my life. Look at the vision God has for me. Where'd the vision come from? It came from God. Oh, I'll tell you, God's got more up his sleeve concerning you than you could ever imagine. God has got a dream. I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. What does vision do in us when the vision of God comes into our life? Oh, it's so advantageous. It changes you. What, what, what the vision of God does, it brings discipline to your life. Now, how many of you in 2013 have admitted, you know, I could stand a little more discipline? Well, y'all are doing better than both the first two services. Every hand went up there. Either y'all are lying or you are really disciplined. Isn't funny, discipline, we don't like it. But discipline makes us into what we really want to be. But vision brings discipline into your life. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Without a vision, the people cast off restraint. Without a vision, you got nothing to live for. Nothing to train yourself for. Nothing to shoot for. But when you get a vision, you bring discipline into your life. You say, I want so much what God wants for me. I, like we say with Paul, I am going to apprehend that for which I was also apprehended of Christ Jesus. I want what God wants for me. So we, we bring discipline. We, we discipline our lives so that we can reach what he has for us. Paul said, that's what I do. He said, I see myself as an athlete. And you ought to see yourself as an athlete. 
He said, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that'll fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. I tell it what to do. It doesn't tell me what to do. I'm disciplined. I get up and seek God in prayer. I seek him in the word. I do what he wants me to do. I tell my flesh to shut up. I kill it by the power of the spirit. I walk in the power of God. I'm going to get what he wants for me. It brings discipline. And vision determines what drives you. What drives you as a person. Do you know that every person that wakes up in the morning gets up driven by something? Everybody is driven by something. Something motivates everybody's day. The Bible says the majority of people live carnally. They wake up and they are driven with carnal desire. And they go seeking carnal things. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. He's describing what drives most people when they wake up in the morning. What am I after? I'm out to gratify the cravings of the flesh, follow its desires and thoughts. He says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. But then we got saved. That's the way we were. But it's not to be the way we are now. We're to wake up every day not seeking the carnal desires of the flesh, but we're to wake up seeking the will of God, fighting the good fight, keeping the faith, and finishing our course. Give God praise. I know that. Some people wake up anger-driven. They're angry all day long. They're driven by anger. Anger fuels them. Some people wake up driven by fear. They're fear-driven. They're afraid all day long. Some people are lust-driven. Every day they wake up and they're driven by lust. But God wants His people to be vision-driven. Vision-driven. 1 Peter 4 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. We wake up and we say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Thine be done. Now, what is the anatomy of a vision? What does it look like? What are the components of a vision from God? What kind of vision do we need to have this year? Let me tell you a few of them. First, our vision needs to be great. It needs to be a great vision. Have you realized that you live once and then you die? Uh, We don't come back as a caterpillar or a frog or a cow or an insect or any of that. There is no reincarnationism. You live once and then you die, and after that, the judgment. We get one shot. We get one shot at life. 
Now, I don't know about you. I don't want to waste my time. I want to dream big. If I'm going to do it, I want to dream big. I want to go out with a bang. I want to leave a mark for God. Is that you? Is that you? Well, then your vision needs to be great. If your vision is possible without God, it's not a vision from God. Now, I'm going to say that again. I want you to catch it because when God gives a vision, the first thing you say is, no way. You have got to be kidding me. And God says, no, I'm not kidding, and there is a way, and that way is me. It's going to happen by me. Yeah, you're going to cooperate, but I'm going to bring it to pass so that no flesh can glory in what I'm going to do. A vision that comes from God is always a great vision. Say with me, dream big. Just be sure the dream's from God. Don't eat too much pizza the night before and think it was God. Dream big, but dream God's dreams. God's vision is always impossible to us, always, but it's possible to Him. Now, I want to challenge all of us in 2013. Attempt to do something so impossible that if God's not in it, it's doomed to fail. I'm doing that. You say, well, what's your dream, Pastor Jeff? I'm dreaming and I'm shooting for reaching more people this year with the gospel and with the word of God than I have ever reached in my entire life. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to do it this year. Now I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment, but I want you to catch this. There are some, there are three simple stipulations when you get a great big vision. Here they are. It must be biblical. It must be biblical. Second, it must be to God's glory and not yours. Third, it must be in line with his vision for you. It must be biblical to God's glory and in line with your fit in the kingdom of God, his vision for you. Now, I got to tell you, I, I love the Bible. I, I'm just, I'm wedded to the Bible. This book, I love it. It's the Word of God. And it's an amazing book. There's no other book like this. And there's a character in it that has captivated my imagination. And this character is Noah. Now, you go, you mean that guy in the big boat with animals hanging out all the windows? That's the one. But can I tell you something? He was real. He was not fictitious. He was not something made up by ancient Hebrew writers to make a point or to create a moral story. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. Not as they say it was, as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus validated the historic accuracy of Noah. And if Jesus believed it, it's good enough for me. Amen. So Noah was real. The Bible says that of all the people, now here's a big theological word, the antediluvian generation. That means the pre-flood generation. They're called antediluvians. In the entire antediluvian generation, there was only one man right with God. His name was Noah. Noah was right with God. That's it. Now picture this man. 
God comes to me one day, day and says, let me give you a great vision, son. I want you to build an ark. I want you to build a huge boat. How big, Lord? All right, here we go. The ark was taller than a three-story building. It had a deck the size of 36 tennis courts. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, three stories high, reaching 45 feet. He said, Noah, grab a hammer and a saw and some nails. Go for it. He gave him all the diagram. I can just imagine. Now, what do you think he said? Oh, a piece of cake. What did he say? You have got to be kidding. You haven't given me a crew. I don't have anybody working with me. What are you talking about? God said, well, hang on. Sorry you feel overwhelmed, but I'm not done yet. I also want you to go find a father and a mother of every kind of animal that's on the earth. Bring them into the boat so that they will not drown when the flood comes and their species can be preserved. Oh, what do you think he said then? You've got to be, come on. When God comes to you, that's what you're going to say. You're always going to say it. When he says, here's what I want you to do. You've got to be kidding. No, I'm not kidding. You and me together, we're a team and we're going to do it. Noah had a great vision, mission impossible with man, but possible with God. Now, the next thing that Noah did is what every vision has got to have. Listen carefully to me. Noah began with specific action steps. When God gives you a great vision, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take steps. Noah had an attitude. The attitude was, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you do a great vision? Steps. You got to do steps. Now, I told you my dream. 2013, we're going to reach more people than we've ever reached in my entire life. How are we going to do it? We're having staff meetings. We're talking to all the department heads. We're rethinking the way we've always looked at things and done things. We are working on strengthening the radio show to bring in more revenue so we can go on more stations. We are checking into how to go streaming video so we can reach people like the woman in Michigan who emailed me this week and said, sure wish you had a broadcast in Michigan. And I want to write her back and say, hang on, though it tarry, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not tarry. We're, in other words, we're, we're taking it down into bite-sized chunks and we're putting steps of faith, of obedience to our vision. It took Noah more than 100 years to build that ark. In those days, they lived a lot longer than we do. They didn't start dating until they were 200. Noah just said, all right, he's given me this incredible vision, this great vision, this you got to be kidding vision. So how am I going to get there? I'm going to gather my tools. I'm going to divide this task into bite-sized action steps of faith and obedience. And I'm going to get there one step at a time, 
one day at a time. Sweet Jesus, one day at a time. I'm going to get there one day at a time. Now, here's the way vision works. See it, take action steps towards it, fulfill it. See it, prepare, fulfill it. Jesus called me to preach when I was 18. I started preaching. I loved it. Once I got loose and, and really began to do it, I just loved it. And I said, here I come, Billy Graham part two. Jesus, turn me loose. And what did he do? He said, now that you're called and I've given you a vision, go to school. I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. Why should I have to go to school? I know John 3, 16. He said, go to school. I want you to go to school and then go to some more school and then go to more school. And I was in school a long time. What was I doing? Preparing. I was getting ready. I was putting action steps towards the vision. I was doing what he told me to do to get there. Crossing every bridge walking every path, doing everything he said. If we don't take daily action steps towards our vision, it's going to remain only a vision. Now get this, on top of all that, while Noah is building this ark, he's preaching to his world. Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached repentance. He was a prophet, a warner to his generation. If you don't get into this ark I'm building, I'm building it under the instruction of God so that you've got a place to run for refuge before the judgment comes. And they did not listen to him. They kept living in their sin, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, taking his word of warning lightly, flippantly, sarah, sarah until the day that the flood came and took them all away. But even so, Noah continued and fulfilled God's two-part vision for him. With one hand he built, with the other hand he preached. Preach, build, build, preach, preach, build, build, preach. I see you and me there. You say, where do you see us? We're building a church and we're preaching to this generation. We are called to preach to this generation. We are going to bring the word of God to this generation. And it's going to go through this church, build, preach, preach, build, build, preach. Are y'all with me? A woman came up to me after the first service and said, Pastor Jeff, when you were preaching that, God said to me, tell him, you haven't seen anything yet. And I said, I receive that because something is going to break loose. Something is going to go forward. There is going to be a surge of God. Though the culture is getting darker, the church is getting brighter. And I don't want to be on the bench. I want to be in the middle of the game. Amen? He built the ark and preached to his generation. And the next thing our vision needs, it needs boldness. Our vision needs boldness. Do you know that boldness was the defining characteristic of early Christians? Do you know that's how people who saw the disciples, that's how they connected the dots that they had been with Jesus was by their boldness? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, Acts 4, 13 says, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. They saw Peter, James, and John just preach the truth boldly, not caring what people thought. 
And they said, dot, dot. Jesus was bold the same way. Can I tell you something that might blow your mind a little bit today? But I really believe it's true. Jesus wouldn't be welcome in a lot of churches in America today. Because he's not politically correct. He didn't sit there and say and wring his hands and go, well, I better not be too truthful. Because if I really tell the truth, I might offend somebody. And we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Oh, no. Because we're to be tolerant. And loving, sloppy agape. We're not to hurt anybody's feelings because, after all, those feelings are sacred. Jesus looked at people and said, you brood of vipers, you whited sepulchers, you washed gravestones. How will you escape the damnation of hell? You think some people didn't walk away a little huffy, a little offended? a little bothered by the preaching of Jesus. Can I tell you something else? Jesus was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Oh yeah, he was loving. Sure, he was sensitive. Sure, he loved people. But if you turned him wrong, Jesus would turn you right. Jesus was tough. We wouldn't recognize that Jesus in the New Testament, if you walked into a lot of churches, he was bold. The disciples were bold. you got to be bold with your vision. Don't worry about what people think. Step up to the plate boldly and go for it. You live once and then you die. Everything else is coming out of the closet. We might as well come out of the closet. Just come out of the closet. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm showing you what I mean. I'm being a little bold today. But I'm so sick of this mamby-pamby, spineless diluted, polluted, watered down Christianity. I want to see some men of fire, some women of fire, some churches of fire. The last thing our vision needs is very important. Our vision needs persistence. Now here's where a lot of people lose it. And so I wanted to close with this because I want you to catch this because here's what I know. Some of you have been thinking of quitting the race. Some of you are just on this side of quit. You've been hit. You've been beat on. You've been betrayed. You've had disappointments, setbacks, disillusionments. And there's something working in you that just says, why don't you just quit? Why don't you just give up? What's the use? And I'm about to preach that out of you. Listen, the Bible says... Let us not grow weary while doing what? Good. While you're doing good, it can be wearying. For in due season, in God's season, in God's time, in God's way, we shall reap if, if, if we do not lose heart. Now, let me translate that for you. You can sow the word. You can water the word. You can do everything right. But then while you're waiting for it to come up, and you're waiting for everything your vision has shown you, you can get the quits and say, it's taking too long. It's too hard. I don't get it. I don't understand. And you walk away, and you're not there to reap the harvest. And God brings along somebody else to reap the harvest you worked on, and then you find out about it, 
and it stings. So you've been sowing into your marriage and you're tempted to walk away. Some of you have been sowing into a ministry and it's not coming up like you thought it would and you're ready to walk away. Something inside of you is just saying, why don't you just quit? That's the voice of the devil. Some of you have failed and you say, well, because of my failure, there's no way I can go on. Listen, failure is never fatal nor final unless you quit. Quitting, well, let me just... Talk about Noah just a little bit longer. Think about Noah. How discouraged do you think he must have become over the years when in a hundred years, not one person repented? Now, as a preacher, I'm going to tell you, I'm Mr. Deflated after a hundred years. He preached for a hundred years to his generation. Not one person said, make room for me on that boat. Not one person said, I'm coming in with you, Noah. Not one. Think about that. A hundred years, a century. Not one convert. Aside from his own family, that was it. Eight of them got on that boat and a whole world perished. On top of that, the gargantual task of building that ark had to have been disappointing and daunting and difficult. All the measuring, cutting down trees, sanding, hammering, watching his dream come to pass, slower than sap oozing out of a tree. I thought it was going to happen overnight. It takes God 20 years to make a man, 20 years to make a woman, 20 years to hammer out a vision. Yet Noah persisted. He kept on going. Despite the world's apathy and mocking and ridicule, despite the painfully slow progress, he persisted. When I was thinking about this message, it occurred to me there's a graveyard out there that only God sees. You know what that graveyard is? It's the graveyard of dead dreams. Dreams that were originally birthed by God. But they're dead. And on a majority of the tombstones, there's an inscription written. It says, quit for lack of perseverance. Gave up. Threw in the towel. Let it go. No wonder the Bible says, for you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you may be the one that receives the promise. You have need of endurance. Don't quit, friend. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Well, God does. Don't quit, friend. Well, you don't know how many times I've been disappointed. That's all right. Get up again. Jesus was disappointed too. Tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Don't quit. The answer is just around the corner. The breakthrough is just down the road. Don't quit. God is a God of truth. He cannot lie. You will in due season reap. If you do not faint. Can you stand up with me today? I have a new year challenge for 
TPC today. Along with all of our radio and media friends, I want to include them. Get a vision. Be a vision-driven Christian this year. Get a great vision where you say, you've got to be kidding. Develop action steps to get there. Be bold with it and hang in like a bulldog on the bone of God's will. Don't let it go. Did you need that today? Amen. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you that you're a God of vision and every person in here is in your mind and you have a future for them that is your destiny. It's why they're here. We pray that this year we will be vision-driven. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you can do this with your heart and mean it, can we just lift our hands towards the Lord and say, Lord, this year, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to pursue carnal things. I want to live for the will of God. Lord, give me your vision for me for this year. And Lord, help me to be vision-driven that at the end of this year, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now with your head bowed a moment, I, I had to do this and I have to do this regularly. So many things can get in the way. I want you to say, Lord, if there's anything in the way of my vision, your vision for me, help me right now to lay it down and leave it in this sanctuary. Just to lay it down. And I want to say to you, nothing is too hard for the Lord. There is nothing He cannot do. If you feel like you're up against the wall and there's no way out, you're wrong. Nothing is too hard for me says the Lord. When you yield your life to me, I will release my power onto you. For nothing is too hard for me, says the Lord. Don't look around you. Don't look behind you. But look up. There's nothing too hard for me, says the Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's give him a hand of